Okay, good evening. Last week, we finished the series of Pirkei Avot, and Baruch Hashem, we are now exactly five days before Yom Kippur. This coming Friday, Yom Kippur starts, so it's just as uh, necessary to speak mainly about Yom Kippur today. And if you have questions about what to do, how to do, you can, you know, you can ask me all your questions. Uh, but uh, the, before we get to the Yom Kippur itself, there are prepar- this preparation for Yom Kippur. How the preparation for Yom Kippur take place? We'll start by the right order. First, uh, as you know, Yom Kippur, it's a special day that Hashem gave us as the Jewish nation to erase the sins that we have between us and Him. Every sin that we made that Hashem told us not to do, we have a problem with Hashem. Every sin makes a spiritual stain on the soul. Yom Kippur, it's a dry clean. You clean your soul. It's an opportunity that you can do in one day what can take you years in other time. It's Yom Kippur. The Torah said, you're going to be purified from all your sin. It's a special day. It's an opportunity, like like once in a lifetime, but every year it comes. So once a year. However, that's the good news. The bad news is that Yom Kippur cannot help you in any way between sins that you made between you and people. Every sin that a person did with other people, Jews and non-Jews, cannot be forgiven, cannot be erased by Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, it's an opportunity to make things straight and good between you and Hashem. But if you owe money to people, you still must pay them the money. If you insulted the person, you still have to apologize and receive his forgiveness. If you were a bad husband the entire year, you have to make sure to make it up to your wife and get her forgiveness before Yom Kippur starts. If you did all kinds of bad things to your neighbors, if you blocked their parking, if you, you make noise and they live under you and all year they suffer and they knock on your door and they call the police and you call the police, all these things that happens all the time, this is now the opportunity to make things correct between you and the people. If you don't do it individually with each one of your friends, families, enemies, whatever you want to call it, then Yom Kippur doesn't go, is not going to help you in any way. It's just an open problem. Now, the problem is that we're still getting judged for the things that we did to other people. We are getting judged, which means if we still owe money to people, it's going to affect our score on this coming Yom Kippur, which I'm going to explain how exactly it works. If we, if we offended people and they still hurt from us, when we go into the final, uh, to finalize our judgment, it's not going to be to our favor. As a matter of fact, whatever I'm saying right now, you should have heard before Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah is the trial day. It's the judgment day, which takes two days, as we know. We just passed Rosh Hashanah. We are now in the middle of Aseret Yemet Shuvah, the ten days of repentance. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us, opportunity for us, basically, as I say, to make Shuvah. 
I'm going to explain the right way how to do it. So, first thing, we have to take care of all the problems that we have with people. If you don't have enough money to return to people, that's your money, and you don't have, you have to make some kind of an, an arrangement with those people. You have to ask uh, to give them something that you can, and ask if, they, if you can make a payment plan with them, if they can give you an extension. Besides giving back the money, you need to apologize for the time that you are late, because they had plans what to do with the money, or because of that they had aggravation, they had to sue you, they had to call you a hundred times. Sometimes not paying the money, it's a big sin. Because the Torah says, Person that borrow and doesn't pay back, Hashem, Hashem called him, not the rabbis. In the Torah, Hashem called him wicked. Rasha, I keeping Shabbat. I put tefillin every day. He prays three times a day. He gives a lot of tzedakah, doesn't matter. He's still a rasha. Hashem cannot tolerate a person who borrow and doesn't pay back. If he lost his money, he doesn't have, that's a different story. He wants to do it, but he cannot. But between me and you, 99.9% .9 of the people who don't pay back, it's because they're wicked, not because they don't have. They have money for vacations, they have money for good new cars every year or two, they have money for 10 televisions in their homes, they have money for all kinds of jewelry, but when times come to pay back what they borrow, they don't pay back. Sometimes they're counting on the fact that this is a not, a, not Jewish. Yeah, he's a guy. Rabbi, what do you care? It's Korean. What do you care? It's Arab. It's mitzvah. I'm doing mitzvah now. I'm not paying him back. He's a terrorist. Probably donates to the Hamas. He's already building up a whole case. Why he shouldn't give the guy back the money? In case you have a thought like that, you are completely wrong. When you borrow money, whether it's a Jew and a non-Jew, you must pay it back. When you don't return it to a guy, it's actually even worse. Because now it's considered already with Hilul Hashem, he's going to tell all his relatives and friends, and that ruins the reputation of the Jewish religion, and of course the reputation of Hashem, because whether you know it or not, we are the representative of Hashem in this world, and when we do something wrong, it's contaminate the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. This is it. So now it's the time, remember, not enough to pay back the money. Here, here is your money. Okay, leave me alone. No. You still have to apologize and make sure he forgive with a hundred percent with his heart for the aggravation, for the hang-ups, for ignoring his phone call, for hiding. You know, I don't have to tell you what else. Okay, so that's one thing. It's not only money issues. It can be you 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 catch his place in a shul on purpose. You know, he likes to sit there every four years. You like the place also. I don't know. It's by the air condition. It's by the window. And you catch his set, and you make him upset the whole prayers, the whole year like this, fighting, all kinds of things like this, fighting with a gabai of the shul, fighting with a person with a, with a, with, in a store in a neighborhood. It could be many different things. Sometimes a person cannot even remember, who do I have to apologize to? Now it's the time. After Shabbat, it's too late. Yes, you can do it Sunday. It's better than never. But it won't help you for this coming year. Now you have to understand, the Gemara says that this is the way it works. Rosh Hashanah is the judgment day. It's the verdict. They reach a verdict. You guilty or not? Then you have 10 days to correct the decision. The decision that was made in the court of heaven is still pending, even though it was announced. 
what was it announced if you deserve to live, if you deserve to die, if you deserve to be successful, you deserve to lose everything you have, you deserve to get married, you deserve not to get married. Everything is decided. But it's not sealed yet. When is it going to be sealed? On Yom Kippur. Which means Yom Kippur, in a way, it's like, a, a, like appealing. Appealing the verdict. Who needs to appeal? Somebody that is not 100%. So the Gemara divided to three categories. The Gemara says, Tzadikim nechtavim l'altar. Tzadikim, the righteous people, are decided, Hashem decides right away to sign them for life. Which life? Not only life in this world. I explained many times before, but that's not so important. What's important is life of eternity. This whole Torah, this whole life is a preparation for life of eternity. This life is a blink of the eye. It's not so important. Before you realize, it will be over. When the Gemara say, Nechtamim Lechaim, signed for life, it means that Hashem said, this year you were good, you made so many mitzvot, the sins I'm forgiving you, you made good tshuva now in a preparation in the month of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, 10 days of tshuva, Yom Kippur, everything is clean, your mitzvot is sealed, it's already sent to your life of eternity, this year was good for you. That means nechtamim lechaim. If you die today, you're going to heaven. That's what it means. Of course, Hashem decides if this year you're going to live in this world or you're going to die. That's also decided, 100%. But that's not what the Gemara means. Because sometimes the Gemara say Reshaim, the, the next thing the Gemara say, wicked people are signed immediately for death. <laughs> we see so many people that are so wicked, the worst in the world, and they live the whole year. So what happened? Why it wasn't sealed for death? Here yeah, we see that they're alive. That's not what the Gemara means. Besides the point, Hashem decides who finishes life here and who's not. Of course, that's obvious. But when the Gemara means signed for death, that means if he died today, he lost his share to the world to come. That's what it means, Nechtamim Lamavet, God forbid. And the Gemara said, Benonim, people that are even, they have even amount of mitzvot and even amount of averot, sins. Even, 50-50. They are pending. Their case is pending, is on hold. When? It will be finalized. When? On Yom Kippur. The last minute of Yom Kippur, after the last prayer of Yom Kippur, which is Tfilat Neila, Hashem signs for life or for death, God forbid, everything else, that's it, is sealed. What does it mean, Benonihim? Not that this person did a, thousand, a, a, a million transactions this year, half a million was mitzvot, half a million was averot. That's not how it works. Why? Because each mitzvah and each sin has a different value. For instance, if a person made a small sin, small sin, what does it mean a small sin? He forgot one time he ate and he didn't make bracha. Not intentional. Usually you always do it. You came out of the bathroom, you forgot to make a bracha. This is a sin from the Rabbanan. It's not that he doesn't appreciate that Hashem is keeping him healthy, that all, you know, everything works proper, that he doesn't need to go to the hospital and, and get rid of his... Uh, of his waist through host and pipes over there, like so many people are laying in hospital that they can't even go to the bathroom. No, it's appreciated. You know, I was busy, he got a phone call, he forgot. That's called a minor sin. As, as opposed to violating Shabbat, lighting a cigarette on Shabbat, which is in the level of a murder. People don't understand. Shabbat is a covenant with Hashem. 
violating Shabbat, it's already on the top of the war scenes. Murdering, eating chametz on Pesach. What's so important about not eating chametz on Pesach? It's showing Hashem that we spit in His face. Lichora, supposedly. Why? Because this is the holiday that symbolized that we became a nation, that He redeemed us from the slavery of Egypt, 210 years we were slaves, he took us to freedom, he gave us the Torah, he entered us to the Holy Land, he chose us as the chosen nation, as a memory of that great event, he said every year do not touch chametz. Why? Because when you came out you couldn't prepare bread, you ate matzot, every year you have to remember as being grateful to me the miracles that I did to you in that exodus of Egypt. Eating bread means, Hashem, I can care less about you, and I spit on you, and I don't care about anything you did for me. That's why it's such a horrible sin. Being grateful to a person is bad. Being grateful to your Creator who supply you with everything you have is a, ma- a much worse sin. Uh, worshipping idols. Every fool understands that it's betraying Hashem. He's giving us everything, and we take an idol and bowing down to this idol. Obviously, or following false religion. When you have the real truth, and you go to all kinds of garbage religions, that's an insult to Hashem. So we have a league, which is the war scene. I'm going to soon explain how we make tshuva in each separate scene. We have to know how to correct it. But benoniim, which means people who are even, some scenes is equal like a thousand other scenes. Right? If a person starts his car on Shabbat, that's like lighting a million cigarettes in one minute. So much fire in a car, I have no idea how many scenes in one second are pressing the gas. If a person didn't wash his hands a million times when he ate bread, it still won't be equal to one time starting the car. If a person did not go all his life to the synagogue to pray one time, all his life, it still won't be as bad as starting the car one time. That's an answer to all the fools who think that Hashem is interested that they'll start the car and drive to shul. <laughs> who would want you to make the war scene in a history in order for you to go to the shul? Pray at home. It's also count. It's not as good, but there's no permission to violate Shabbat just for the sake of prayers. So this is common sense of the Torah, common sense of Hashem. You don't learn Torah, you don't understand the common sense of your Creator. So this is to show you that it doesn't go by quantity, it goes by the quality of each mitzvah and the quality of each avera. That's why I always recommend people make the best investments with your maser, with your 10% that you're obligated to give, or with the tzedakah that you have to give. Make the correct investment. If you make the correct investment, automatically your files is tilted to the positive side. If we put your sins and your mitzvot on a scale, if you invest your tzedakah money correctly, even though you're guilty 100% of so many sins, just this investment that you do with your money can turn everything to the positive side. Which means if you die today, on the scale you have more mitzvot than sin. How? How do you make an important investment? You either invest on people who learn Torah, because that's a very, very... uh, great mitzvah for you, because the person who learns, every second, every letter that comes out of his mouth, you become a partner. So in the end of the year, you made 10 million sins, and you only made a million mitzvot. 
personally. So the scale is almost breaking to the negative side. But then comes all the mitzvot that were created from your money. You put it on a positive side. Oh, you got saved. Why? Doing nothing, just giving money. But to who? You have to be very clever. Most of the tzedakah that people give, not only it's not a mitzvah, sometimes it's a sin. Like giving money to a person who violates Shabbat. It's a sin, it's not a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah to help him. Why? He takes the money, put gas in a car, and drive all Shabbat with your money. Without your money, he wouldn't make the sins. You help him to be a bigger criminal. You're not thinking that way, but that's what happened. Giving money to a reform shul. That makes Hashem very angry. Why? They smashed and slashed the Torah to millions of pieces. They step on the Torah and spit on it every second. You're giving the money to my enemies, to my haters that uh, marry men to men and marry goim to, to non-Jews, to Jews to non-Jews. One of the worst sins in the Torah and putting a cross next to the star David and playing the piano on Yom Kippur. This is who you're giving your money to. So that's a very big sin. You're thinking you're giving donation. In the end, you're creating yourself millions of sins every minute. A person has to know where to invest his money. So the best investment is to bring people closer to Hashem. We spoke about it many, many times. Today, I got an email from it. I got two important uh, messages, one in email, one in a phone call. Let me tell you just to give you an idea. Today I got, actually it started last night, in the middle of the night, a person from Florida, I'm not saying names here, I didn't give permission from him to publish the case, but I'm going to tell you briefly about the case, you won't know who I'm talking about. He sends me an email, he wants to donate $40 to make CDs. Why? He became religious through the lectures, and he understands the power of those CDs and the lectures, so he wants maybe the same way it's changed his whole life and made him religious, he wants to have that same schut to make another Jew religious. But there's only one problem. This person is very poor. Very poor. He live of social security. Thousand and few dollars a month. That's what he makes. His rent is almost most of his salary. He has to feed a wife, to feed a kid. Obviously, this person is very, very poor in any standards. So... I, so through the email, he says, my dream is that I will be able to save enough money to buy myself a pair of tefillin. A pair of tefillin, six, seven, eight hundred dollars, depending where you buy it. So that's his dream. For somebody like this, it's like buying a car, a pair of tefillin. Same ratio. As I read his email, I had tears in my eyes. So I send him an email, you don't have to give. It counts like you gave. When a person wants to give very badly and he doesn't have, Hashem counted that he gave. Don't worry about it. Because Hashem knows, he's the only one who knows if you really would give it, if you had it or not. To talk, everybody talks. Hashem knows when you say, I wish I had the money that I can give to this cause, to this zakah, and you say it from all your heart and you really mean it, it counts. It's called anus. You are forced not to do the mitzvah. You wanted to do it, your hand is tied, you cannot do it. It counts like you did it. I counted as you did it, Hashem say. So I said to him, you don't have to give. You need, you need every, every penny. It's, it's an emergency. So I said to him, Hashem, with Hashem's help, I'm going to send you a pair of tefillin. Used on you. I don't know. I have to make phone calls to see if I'm going to be able to send him brand new. And... Uh, 
Ezrat Hashem, you know, so his dream is to be able to buy tefillin. But as by the way, he was writing it in an email. This whole email was from Shamaim that Hashem will make me a shaliach to get him a pair of tefillin. He wants to give tzedakah. And in the end, he got himself a pair of tefillin. And he, it's very interesting, as you saw before the lecture started, a person came and he bought brand new tefillin. Today, just hours after this guy was leaving his second email and sending the address where to send the tefillin here, I get a phone call. And, and uh, somebody says, my father decided, instead of checking his tefillin, you know, he has this tefillin. He wants to buy for the new year a, a brand new pair of tefillin. And... And, and maybe 10, 20 minutes later, he called me again. He said, can you bring it today with you? I said, yes. He said, well, my father wants to donate his pair of tefillin to someone who cannot afford. Much hours after the email, like a machine. Oh, get the tefillin right here. No. Just I walk in, comes Levi to me, and says, Rabbi, somebody told me, here, Levi is sitting here, to donate $40 to your CD. <laughs> So this is all for me, is also a test. If I take advantage on this guy, even though it's for an important mitzvah, or knowing that Hashem will count it for him as he gave it anyway, I should let him keep the money. Hashem says, you never lose by doing the right thing. Right away, I walk in, ah, Levi, $40. <laughs> exactly, not 41 not 39 That's how it works. If you have a munah in Hashem, it always works like this. Just to give you an idea, not much how it is. But the second great thing is that somebody called me from England. I also don't tell you from what city. From England, if you want to see, come to me. You see it on my caller ID. You see an England area code right here, a few hours ago. Calls me up. I'm not saying names. Say, I started to listen to your lecture. I listened to many of them, and I became religious. That's it. Became religious. But now I listen to this lecture, it's called intermarriage, and I feel like, that's it, I'm dead. Why? Right away I know what he's about to say. Because I've been married to a non-Jewish woman, and now I found out that I'm, I'm destroyed. I'm, that's it, I'm finished. He has three kids. It's not his kids, because they are goyim according to the Torah. And now he realizes, how do I make tshuva? I'm finished, what? <laughs> Where would I correct this? So I started to explain to him, thank you, I started to explain to him that don't worry, you did not know, you had no idea, and it's, and it's not intentional sin, not intentional sin, it's not the same thing like an intentional sin. And we're going to explain the difference between an intentional sin to a not intentional sin in a minute. Just that you understand, this person already became religious, for good people's uh, uh, investment. Somebody made him religious. Not only my speaking. People who back it up with their donation, with their money, they have a share with this guy. Now this guy is making a phone call to a community. He's going to spend Yom Kippur in a kosher place. He's going to spend Sukkot in a kosher place. He's already starting to keep Shabbat. He's doing mitzvot. He's doing so many things. Somebody gets credit for it. And in 40, 50 years from now, when we leave this world... Just this guy alone, whoever he belongs to, can turn the entire life of a person to a positive. As I said many times before, the Zohar, the Kabbalah in Parashat Truma, says that if a person knew how great it is to make one Jew religious, one, not a hundred and not five thousand, one, he would run after him 70 years non-stop. 
with tortures and aggravation and difficulties, no matter what, giving him money, begging him, bribing him, teaching him, not giving up 70 years until that person became religious, that already made your whole life worthwhile. Perfect. Ah, such a great achievement. Well, I, Rabbi, I'm not, I didn't learn enough Torah. I didn't keep great Shabbat. I, I, I wasn't so good. That this guy alone already is the best investment for you. Why? Because he's going to make so many mitzvot. His children, his grandchildren, his grand, grand, grandchildren forever. As long as we are here in this world, these people are going to live here before this world will be destroyed eventually. Everything, everything people do goes to his account. That's why the Zohar explained. Not to talk about the reward in the afterlife. Regardless of how many mitzvot are added every Rosh Hashanah to your account, can be dead already 500 years, and continue to earn from the descendants of this person that you made religious 500 years ago. And it never ends. It's a tree, it's blessing, it brings you fruit forever and ever. That's how it works. That's why you have to know what to do, how to turn it to the positive side. Now, so the Gemara says, Benonim, people who are even, are, are on hold until Yom Kippur. Comes Yom Kippur, Hashem checks their behaving in this week, how they behave on Yom Kippur, and it's decided their verdict. Now we have a few questions that we have to clarify here. We have to clarify a few things here. First of all, a person that is Benoni, mediocre, is even, 50-50. If he did not take this week serious, he didn't learn, he didn't make tshuva, he didn't pay back people he owes money, even Yom Kippur he barely fast, he didn't come to shul barely, he only came in the end to hear shofar, like some people do. That was his whole week, nothing, business as usual. Somebody like this was just signed for death, chas v'shalom. He had an opportunity to go to the positive side. Since he does not take the opportunity, Hashem signed him like the wicked people. He just had an extra week to correct. The wicked people already immediately, in the first minute of Rosh Hashanah, Hashem signed death for this year. If you die this year, you're dead. That's it. Permanently. But these people had an extra week to reverse the negative decision. Since they did not take advantage on it, they're going to die spiritually. The question is why? If a person did 50% of his things mitzvot, 50% averot, fine, he did not make tshuva on this week, fine, he didn't take advantage on the opportunity, fine. But to be destroyed? Spiritually? It means if he dies now, he loses his share? What's going on here, ma? How can it be? Ma, such a strict punishment? But after all, he has 50%. And we're not talking wicked people that barely have anything. We're talking somebody who did mitzvot. He kept Shabbat, he did this, he gave some tzedakah, he learned some Torah a little bit. He makes also a lot of sins. It's not a criminal that go and hate Hashem and put an X on Hashem and is ungrateful and doesn't care about the Torah. So we're not talking about this guy. So how can it be? The answer is... Given the opportunity by Hashem, such an opportunity that it's against all odds to take seven days and earn eternity and taking it for granted and disrespect the opportunity and do nothing with that, you don't deserve to live, spiritually. There's no surprise here. What is surprise? 
I'm giving you an opportunity like this, I'm giving you the key, I'm just telling you run, work for it a little bit, run, enter. And you sit and smoke your cigar, and then you ask me why I was destroyed? What, what is the surprise? Fine, it's very nice you have mitzvot. Everything you did, you get rewarded for it. Nothing goes to waste. But to get olam haba, to get the next word, you're sitting here and wasting your time going to work as usually, driving your car, making meetings with customers, no, not opening Torah, doesn't come, no slichot, no nothing, no apologies, nothing, as usual, another week, watching television all day. Doesn't make sense. So you basically buried yourself. This is the truth. Now there's another question. Why don't the Torah say, okay, I'm giving you this extra week, Let's say a person did not make tshuva, but he did a lot of mitzvot. A lot of mitzvot. For instance, he learned more Torah. So right there, it's thousands of mitzvot extra every day. He gives a level of tzedakah, so that's a lot of mitzvot. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. You know, he helped the poor, he did chesed, he washed the dead, he visited the sick. Things that he's not normally doing, he did comes this extra amount of mitzvot this week and should turn the scale to the positive side. It was 50-50, no? So here, the mitzvot that I did this week, up oh, will turn me to the positive and I will be like the righteous people. What, who's righteous? Someone who has more mitzvot than sins. That's what the Rambam writes, Rubo mitzvot. Rubo averot, most of his acts is sins, is wicked. Most of his acts, his mitzvot, is righteous. Not perfect, but he's to the righteous side. Even is mediocre, benoni. So here you go, I did so much mitzvot this week. Turn me to the positive side, and we count me as those righteous people who you signed for life immediately. The answer is no. Your file for last year is sealed already. No more mitzvot can, can go retroactive to the previous year. This is a new year. All the mitzvot that we do after Rosh Hashanah, from the minute that Rosh Hashanah begins, all goes to where? To the new year. When are you going to be judged and get credit for it? Next Rosh Hashanah. You cannot take mitzvot now and push it to the previous years. It's over already. Same thing like tax money. If you give donation now, you cannot tell the IRS... I want to give for 2010. That's it. It's already for the next year, 2011. Even a day after, you cannot push it to the tax return of the previous years, even though it's very good for you for tax reason, because last year was, business was booming, and this year is going to be slow. You gave a big donation. You want it to go for the last year, because it's going to help you to save a lot of taxes. I'm sorry, my friend. An hour after the new year started, that's already for the new tax return. That's how it goes. However, that's the miracle here. That's why in Pirkei Avot, if you remember when we learned, the Chazal taught us that tshuva, the term repentance, was created before the world was created. Why? It could not be created after Hashem made the world. Why? Because it's against the, it's against the nature. It's against any logic. To be able to erase all your sins in a few days or in a day or in an hour... By doing something or by making tshuva and Hashem is willing to forgive everything and make a deal with you and turn you into the positive side, it's not realistic. So the fact that Hashem made this miracle, that's called the aseret yemet tshuva, the ten days of repentance. What you can do right now, it's like a plea bargain. I'm guilty, 
I don't deserve anything, but look, I regret, I'm ashamed, I promise to be better. Please erase my previous sins from the last year that you can seal me also to the positive file and not to the negative side. This is how it works. There are four categories of sins. And there are four different ways to make tshuva on those sins. Four different categories. What are they? Let's go in all the possibilities. First, this is how it goes. Rabbi Ishmael says, Avar al mitzvot aseh, a person did not, did not do positive commandments. You should do, you should do, you should do, you should, you should, you should. Every time, 248 times that the Torah says you should do this and this and that. Like put filin on the hand, he didn't do. Put filin on the head, he did not do. Uh, have uh, all kinds of things. Eat matzah once a year, he did not do. Uh, have arbat aminim, etrog, lulav, adas ve'arava, he did not do. Sit in the sukkah, he did not do. All these obligations that the Torah said to a Jew to do, and it, I'm not talking restrictions, you should not do. We're talking, you should do. And a person did not do it. And now he found out that he has to do it. So he regret, he regret that he did not do it. He promised to start do it. He actually started to do it. And he promised always to do it. He's asking Hashem every day by, by doing vidui to forgive him. As soon as he begins to do those mitzvot, the, the, the language of, of, the, of the Gemara, Eno zazmikan ad shemitchaper, ad shemuchalim lo. It doesn't move from his place before Hashem forgives him. This is a term to say, as soon as you started to do it, yes, you don't have the reward for all the years you did not do it. Whatever you lost, you lost. But the punishment that you were subject to is also was erased. Why? You regret, you're ashamed, you started to do, it's a new start. That's the easiest thing to make tshuva on. What comes right after? It says like this. Avar alav. If he violated one of the restrictions of the Torah, the Torah says you cannot, you should not do, you should not eat pork, you should not shake with razor, you should not be mechalel Shabbat, we get to Mechalel Shabbat, it's a separate thing. You should not shave with razor. You should not, uh, you know, you should not uh, embarrass a person. You, all this you should not, that the Torah say. If a person now stops to violate this halachot, these laws, and he regrets and is ashamed and he do vidui and all these things that we do anyway every day in the, in the prayers, then the tshuva that the person did is pending until Yom Kippurim. Comes Yom Kippur, which is this coming Shabbat, and Yom, Yom Kippur is erasing the file for all the restrictions that a person violated. Which sins we are talking about? Only sins that the Torah did not say punishment of karet. What does it mean, karet? Karet in Hebrew means to cut. To cut what? To cut your arms? To cut your legs? No. To cut the soul out of life of eternity. That's called karet. V'nichreta Yisrael. Every time the Torah says the word karet, I'm cutting 
the soul of that sinner from the eternity, from life of eternity. He loses share to the world to come. There's a few words to describe it. These punishments, for instance, are 36 different sins in the Torah that the punishment for them is correct for the soul. Among them, worshipping idols. Among them, violating Shabbat. Among them, entering Bet HaMikdash when you're not permitted to enter there. Among them, eating Hametz and Pesach. Many of the sex crimes is subject to this kind of punishment. So all these restrictions that the Torah threatened the person that if you're going to do it, this you are subject to karet, Yom Kippur is helping, but it does not erase it completely. When those sins are going to be forgiven, when? Only after X amount of suffering that a person must go through. So remember, he stopped making those restrictions. He is very careful not to repeat it ever again. He regrets it. He's ashamed. He's ashamed. He makes vidui every day. Chatati, aviti, pashati. He fasts on Yom Kippur, torture himself, pray all day, cry all day. It's still not clean. When is it going to be clean? Everything has been accepted, so it makes the situation much better. When is it going to be out of his file completely? After X amount of suffering. What does it mean, suffering? Sicknesses, problems in a marriage, problem with the children, traffic every day, a boss that annoys you nonstop and takes advantage on you. Nobody wants to give you the amount of money that you deserve and they take advantage on you. A IRS problem, jail, police, mal- getting molested, being raped, uh, uh, money losses, people stole from you, people cheated you, people used your credit card without permission. Uh, all the kinds of problems you can think of. You're about to get married, in the last minute somebody spoke Lashonara about you and the, guy, and the girl dumped you, and you're sitting depressed for three months, or the other way around. All these things are suffering. But suffering doesn't have to be all these tragedies that I mentioned. Tragedy, uh, suffering can be as little as you dial the number in your phone and you dial the wrong number. And somebody has picked up and said hello and you find this Jamaican guy in Jamaica. Where did I call? I wanted to call England. I called Jamaica by mistake. <laughs> so uh, you lost, I don't know, a dollar. No problem. You can call the phone company and bargain with them about the dollar. That's not the problem, the dollar. The problem is that you just lost another minute, and you're in a rush, you're trying to get somebody. So that's a little suffering. You're standing by a payphone, you're looking for a quarter. It's not a quarter anymore. It used to be a quarter. <laughs> looking for a quarter, and you cannot find a quarter. Oh, what's, how can it be? I put a quarter in my pocket. You, you go back to the car, you check under the chair. These two, three minutes that it took you to find a quarter in the freezing weather, that's suffering. Missing the bus. The bar, up, oh, I came. He closed the door. Banging on the door, open! It goes like this. <laughs> Let me go. It's suffering, aggravation. Even though it's only 10 minutes, he's standing there in a heat, in a cold. People annoy you. All these things are taken into consideration. That's why, if we really think about it in a clever way, it's the best thing that can happen. What's better, to suffer there forever? It's better to suffer here for two months, three months, five years, whatever it takes, but get it clean. Let the file become clean. However, the fourth category of the sins are sins 
that almost nothing can help you. Or it helps, for sure it helps, but it doesn't finalize the repentance. For instance, you regret it, it's still not erased. You're ashamed, it's still not erased. You do vidui every day, morning and evening and night, it's still not erased. You, do, you go Yom Kippur over it, another Yom Kippur, another Yom Kippur, it's still not erased. You suffer a lot for it, it's still not erased. When is it going to be finally erased? In the time of death. Which means all the life of the person, this sin is still in his file. Even if he made a perfect tshuva, he never repeated it ever again. He's embarrassed, his heart is broken, he asks Hashem every day to forgive him for that. He's ashamed, he fasts on Yom Kippur, he suffered tremendously, it's still in his file. When is it going to be erased? In the day of his death. What is it? Chilul Hashem. What does it mean, Chilul Hashem? Ruining and embarrassing the name of Hashem in the world. We came here to sanctify the name of Hashem in the eyes of the Goim, of the nations, and we did the opposite. The opposite of the purpose of life. The purpose of life, Hashem says in the Torah in many places to the Jews, you are holy because I am holy. You are my children, I chose you from all the nations to be mine, do not do this, don't imitate the Goim, do not marry them, don't eat the food, and there's a list of restrictions. What does he do? Not only that he violates all these restrictions, he does everything he can to be Mr. Williams. Everything he can. Or to be Chris. Yeah, everything he can. He imitates his haircut, he imitates his clothing, even though he's only a basketball player. He admires him from jumping very high. Why don't you go to the safari, the monkey jump higher? He don't admire the monkey. Why? Why you admire him? What's the difference? Because he jumped very high and he threw a piece of leather down? For that you admire him? For that he's screaming, you crying if he signs it on a little piece of paper? That's Avodazara. It's like worshipping an idol. But worshipping an idol, it's not only when you're worshipping a goy or, or a Jew or an athlete or a, or a basketball player or a successful businessman or a successful movie star. No. It's also an idol. There, it could be that you're the most religious guy on earth, and every second of your life you're worshipping an idol. And when you die, you go directly to hell. <laughs> Learning Torah? Yes, you do. You're keeping Shabbat? Yes, you do. You're giving tzedakah? Plenty. What else? You're not insulting people. You, everything is good about you. But there's one critical mistake you're doing. You're worshipping a, a rabbi. There's no difference between worshipping a basketball player or a baseball player or anything you want to worshipping a rabbi. You can admire a rabbi, not him. You don't admire his belly or how beautiful is his beard. That's nonsense. You're a fool if that's what you admire. You admire his knowledge, you're doing a mitzvah because Hashem said to admire the knowledge of the Chachamim. No problem. There's a difference between admiring respecting, listening to their instruction and their advice, that's all positive. Worshipping them, it's Avodah Zarah. What does it mean worshipping them? Putting signs all over, paying millions of dollars of their pictures all over. Here is the Mashiach. Prepare for him. He is God. 
He is the son of God. Going to overseas on Rosh Hashanah to his grave in Russia and standing there and, and saying to the people, if you're not doing it, you're not a kosher Jew. You have nothing, if you're not going and connecting to Hashem through this dead rabbi, that's exactly like Christianity, there's no difference. Even though you're a big tzaddik, you do all the mitzvot, come this mitzvah and ruins your entire life. Comes this avera, this sin comes and destroy your life. Why? You're worshipping a dead man or even a live person, it doesn't matter. You're worshipping him, you call Oved Avodazara. This year, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave these people too many signs. Unfortunately, they're not getting the signs. First sign was that when they came to go to the airport, the Russian police kept 20,000 of them standing in a freezing Russian winter, I don't have to tell you the cold there, in an open place, windy, people, old people, little kids, they're all freezing, they didn't come prepared to stand hours outside. And they stood there for hours, there's no room in the, air, in the airport. They kept them out of the airport. You ever heard such a thing? You come to the terminal, they say, stay outside, there's no room inside. Let's get rid of some of the people there. And, and they, they were begging them, let us in, let us in. They were freezing to death. Only after hours they agreed to get the kids and the old people inside. And the young people were standing to freeze for hours, trying to, to warm one another in a horrible condition. And they and this Russian police goyim, I don't have to tell you, they're not exactly merciful. So they started to say, we felt like we are in a holocaust again. That's how bad is their experience was. Just when you think it's over, when you finally came in, they found out that all the flights got canceled. Because in Israel, in the airport, all the union workers that works in the airport decided to go on a strike. So you cannot get your suitcases, they don't accept any new flights coming in. People that already arrived to Israel, which already flew before the strike, they're stuck in the airport for eight hours and cannot get their suitcases. Which means a horrible experience. The wife is alone in Israel with the kids. They live her alone in Rosh Hashanah. Just for that idol that they sell everybody, that without him you cannot be a good Jew. That's 100% Avodah Zarah. Serious problem. And I hope that some of them will get the idea finally to stop with this nonsense. Not to talk about $50 million that they burn every year on airfare. $50 million, that's what it costs. Calculation. $50 million every year. You know how many yeshivot you can keep the whole year? The budget in my yeshiva in Yerushalayim, in Eretz Israel, there's 24 guys sitting and learning all day from morning to night. 12 guys, each one of them has families. It's $12,000 a month. That's the total budget of the yeshiva. $144,000 a year for 24 tzaddikim who sits all day and learn Torah. Take $50 million, divided by 144, and see how many yeshivot like this can survive every year instead of this avodah zarah. This is 100%. They get angry when you tell them that. They go crazy, but that's the truth. There's no difference. People like this, on the judgment day, they go to Russia, not to talk about the prostitution over there and all the other play, things that they see in the middle of Rosh Hashanah. That's besides the point. But the biggest insult is that even if it was mitzvah, even if it was mitzvah to go to Russia to stand by a grave of a tzaddik to pray over there, 
How do you dare to go there when you have Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai buried across the street from your home? You have Rabbi Akiva here, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai here, Rabbi Meir here, Rambam is here. All the legendary top Jews ever lived within 10 miles away from your home, and you go to somebody who lived 200 years ago? Such an insult. This is, this is when you don't follow the Torah, you follow your feelings. Ah, Rabbi, but you know, I'm so inspired over there. 30,000 people scream, Amen, Yeshmer Rabba. No, take a stadium in Tel Aviv, a, a soccer stadium, make the slichot over there, everybody scream. <laughs> you have to go to Amalek, to the nation of Amalek, to the Rosh Hashanah over there. This is an example how you can be a tzaddik, you give tzedakah, you learn Torah, you supposedly love Hashem, everything is fine without realizing the Satan is bearing you. Why? You're connecting to Hashem through a person. Why Hashem did not show us where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried? Why? What's the problem that we have the grave of Moshe Rabbeinu? It was obvious that within one generation the whole world will worship Moshe and make him a god. <laughs> Standing by the grave of Moshe Rabbeinu, the biggest, the biggest figure to all main three religion, four or five billion people, Admire Moshe, Moses, Musa, whatever you want to call him, and they know this grave, and they won't become an idol? Of course it would become an idol. And say, let me spare this embarrassment from humanity. Nobody knows where Moshe is. Many other people, some of the graves, is not, not every name on a grave is reliable. Like they said, David Amelech is buried here. No, no proof that he's there. Shlomo Amelech is here. No proof that he's there. Some of these graves, there's no proof. Some of them we know for sure, but some of them, are, there's no proof. Everyone can say, this grave is this guy. The rumor goes around. 500 years later, everybody thinks he's there. In reality, it could be an Arab that buried there. Nobody knows. So this is to give us an idea. Yes, what's the question? I'm trying to say the human. Yes, so, yes, that's what I was talking yeah, about. I know. Why? Is it just like worshipping to Breslau? Yes. How come 30,000 people go there every year? How come 2 billion Christians follow JC? How come? They try to be righteous. Real, real rabbis that go to... JC was a very big rabbi until he became wicked. You were our own people. You know JC, how much Torah he knew? Before he became what he became? He never became a goy. He died as a Jew. Half of the people from Beth Galil, from our community, go there. I know that, I know that. I know it sounds controversial, but you know me by now. The last thing I'm worried about is to say the truth. What's the worst going to be? They get angry? Let them hear the truth. That's the truth. By the way, in case you think it's my opinion, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef will tell you the same thing word by word. And any other big rabbi in the world will tell you the same thing. But they don't listen to anyone. They don't listen. You go to Rav Eliashiv, you ask him, what do you think he's going to tell you, to go there? Of course not. You ask Rav Steinman, he's going to tell you to go there? No. The Rav, Rav Kanievsky will let you go there? No. First of all, not the biggest tzaddikim. Not everyone who has a beard, not everyone who has a beard is a bigger, the biggest tzaddik. Not everyone that has a beard. The Hamas people also have beard. You know? Yeah, you know, you know the Indian that worship the cow? You know what nice white beards they have in a turban? What was a beard? Well, by now we should have known better that the beard is nonsense and the turban and all these things is just a custom. Uh, Hashem does not interested in your beautiful angel image. What's inside? Are you rotten or not? That's what counts. Hey, how long is his beard? 
What kind of sombrero he has? What is this? <laughs> you know, I promise you. I promise you 100%. There are people who have small yarmulkes, wore jeans and sandals. They look hippies. They play the guitar when they pray. You would look at them. You don't, you don't even want to be a part of their minyan. And in Shamaim, they are a million times better than some of these sombreros that are going like this, like crazy. They're a million times better. Only Hashem knows to evaluate a person. You have to understand, if you take two people who had the same exact life, it will never happen, but you know, hypothetically speaking, two people that had the same exact life from the minute they born, same neighborhood, same family, they did all the mitzvot together, all their life 100% the same, if it was realistic, if. And one is a very big tzaddik, and one is so-so. Same thing. Why? Potential. What's the potential of the soul? That's the most, the most important thing. Not every kid is the same. See right away, this is Esav, this is Yaakov. He's three years old, three years old, two kids. One already is a potential to be a big tzaddik. One, if he's going to put filin in 20 years from now, it's a miracle. The potential of the soul, it's a dirty soul, or it's a very high soul. You understand? You see it right away when the kids are kids. Right away, you see the kid, how he kisses the Torah, how he's excited. You see right away. You see davening, he runs to prayer. And the other kids, he comes to shul, he goes to play outside. He's not interested. Six, seven years old, he sits by the Torah, by the Sidur. He doesn't say a word. Sits in the shul two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one... He almost cry when he pray. Who told them? Who, how did they know? They're so young. How did they know? It's the soul. It's a different soul. That's why the potential is very important. I once gave this example that the Torah said that Moshe and Aaron are equal. Moshe Rabbeinu and his brother Aaron are equal. But at the same time, the Torah said, how can they be equal? The Torah, Hashem said that Moshe is the most humble person ever lived. It's the biggest tzaddik. So how can they be equal? How do you know they're equal? Because sometimes the Torah say Moshe and Aaron. Sometimes the Torah say Aaron and Moshe. Usually if the Torah would always say Moshe and Aaron, Moshe and Aaron, Moshe and Aaron, always, then there's no doubt. Moshe is better. But since sometimes the Torah say Moshe and sometimes they say Aaron first, then you know Chazal says that they are equal. But then there's a question. The Torah said that Moshe is better. How can they be equal? The answer is each one of them fulfilled his potential the same percentage. If Moshe did 99%, Aaron did 99%. In reality, Moshe is higher. You see, Hashem is talking to him more than he speaks to Aaron. He is the leader, not Aaron. Aaron is also important. But Moshe is more important. But Percentage-wise, if Moshe did 98%, Aaron did 98%. If Moshe did 95%, Aaron did 95%. Potentially, they are equal. In reality, they are not equal. That's why a person that learns three hours Torah, he makes less mitzvot than a person who learns ten hours Torah. But maybe it's a bigger sacrifice for him than the other one who learns ten. Why? The ones who learn ten is a genius. He was born very smart. Everything he hears, straight away he catch. Smart people enjoy learning, not only Torah, anything. Smart people enjoy to learn math. 
They enjoy to learn English, history, everything. Why? Because this is a way to express their greatness. So they're very happy. Foolish people, as soon as you show them a book, they want to kill themselves. Wow, wow. Again, sitting half an hour. When I read, I want to cry. Yeah, so you understand? So now a person like this that learns an hour, it's a bigger sacrifice than someone who learns five. Because the one who learns five cannot live without it. And this person cannot live with it. <laughs> as soon as he hears that he has to come to a lecture, ooh, not again. You know, this is it. So we we'll continue. One other very foolish custom is the custom of the kaparot that comes before Yom Kippur. Not that kaparot is a, it's a foolish custom. The kaparot is important. But how to do the kaparot, that's what we're going to talk about. Many people, many people, Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, mainly Ashkenazim, because it's a very strong Ashkenazi custom, but many Sfaradim as well, they take their anger on the miserable chickens. <laughs> Million chickens, <laughs> chop, chop their throat one after the other all days. There's a few problems over here. First problem is, the Ramban, one of the greatest rabbis and biggest Kabbalists that we ever had 750 years ago, said that this custom came from the Goim. The Goim used to do all these things with animals, and it's not a kosher custom. Right away, it's a very serious problem. But it's not only the Ramban. Also in Shulchan Aruch, Maran, Rabbi Yosef Karo said that it's better to do it with money to take money, the value of a chicken per every one of your members of your family. If a chicken costs $15, a whole roost, a, a rooster or chicken, I don't know how much it costs, $12, $15, $20, whatever it is, and you have five members in your family, you, your wife, and three kids, so you take a value of each chicken on the head of a kid, you do it three times like the Sidur says in the beginning of the Machzor of Yom Kippurim. <coughs> you say it three times, and put the money in a bag, and you give it to Tzedakah, much, much better than to go stand an hour online and slaughter a rooster. Here, the roosters are making noise already. <laughs> Somebody came to their help. But wait a minute, it gets much worse. The other problem with these roosters is that the shochet, the one who slaughtered them, how many mistakes he can do in one day? If you slaughter, Five, five roosters an hour. No, you still have patience to check the knife, that it's smooth, it didn't become crooked, and there's no bumps on it. You check it again, and you do it normally. But when you slaughter 500 chickens a day, for sure many of them became taref. Another problem is, another problem is, that nobody wants these chickens to eat them. Nobody wants them. You're going to see and the day before Yom Kippur, you go to all the synagogues here, people bringing huge bags full of 20 chickens inside, 10 chickens inside, begging the poor people to take it. They don't want. Why? You want me to eat the chicken that all your sins went on it? Nobody wants it. It's serious. Nobody wants it. The only way to give it to them is to fool them, to put it in a fridge, wait a week, and then send it to them for Shabbat. That they won't know. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. Because to give it to them a day before Yom Kippur, they're no fools. They know, my friend, 
you eat your own sins. Don't give it to me. Yeah, the poor people, they still have high standards, you know, they don't agree to eat this. So no matter how you look at that, only bad comes out of it. Nothing is good. You kill miserable animals, it's nobody eats them, probably ended up in a garbage, and it's a custom of the goyim. When you can do it much faster, much cleaner, without wasting time, by doing it with money, and it's just as good or even better. Why? Because in Shulchan Aruch, he says it's better. Yes. It's better someone does it for you, but if there's nobody that can do it for you, you can do it to yourself. You hold the money above your head, and you go like this. Zok aparati, zok halifati, zok morati. Ele amaot ilchul letzdaka, v'ani elech l'chaim tovim ul shalom. That's it. You say three or four lines. Three times you repeat it, and that's it. What about for your kids? Can you do it? Yeah, you can do it. I do for my kids. I do for my guests. Everyone. You slaughter the chicken, right? You don't have to slaughter the chicken. I don't, I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. I said, this, all this that they bring from college point over there, that they slaughter all the uh, chickens, whatever they are, no matter where they slaughter, it doesn't matter. The shochet doesn't see in his eyes after he slaughtered 500 chickens. The Believe me. Looks very religious, it though. doesn't matter, but you think, it, you think every time he slaughtered, he checked the knife. But, no, but, but even if everything is perfect, don't get me wrong, even if he slaughtered and it's kosher, everything is fine, it's still not good to do it. It's better to do this year, even some big Ashkenazim rabbis, they started to say it's not fair to kill all these chickens. For what? What for? If we can do it with money, why should we do it that way? Yeah. So the, the answer is, of course, not to do it with chickens, to do it with money. It's better, cleaner, and, and save you a lot of time. Then, what other things we have to say about Yom Kippur? You know, in the beginning of Yom Kippur, we start the prayer with Kol Nidrei. Kol Nidre, it's a special prayer of your Kol Nidre. They take out seven Sifre Torah, five Sifre Torah, three Sifre Torah, depending how many they have. So they take the Sifre Torah, people buy it with lots of money, they sell it. The first one is the most important one to buy, because it also comes with the blessing of Shechianu. People make a bracha, Shechianu on it, which is for the, entire, for the entire crowd that comes to the shul. And it's also for the Yom Kippur, also for this mitzvah. What's the significance of this, buying this book, this Sefer Torah, buying it and hugging it while you're making the bracha for the entire crowd? For men, it's very significant. Why? It's an important opportunity to correct the sin, one of the worst sins in Judaism, of wasting seed. All the waste of seed for the entire year from the sins that he made, this is an opportunity for him to correct it. And that's why there's a special prayer to say they have it on a special board. They print it, and people read it from it. They, they cry, they hold a Sifre Torah, and they pay top dollars for it in Brooklyn in the good years. It used to go for half a million dollars just to hold it and to say the bracha in the wealthy shuls there. I don't know about this year, but just to show you how much people are willing to give for it. But still... Even though it's important, all the aliyot of Yom Kippur are the most important of the year, just remember what I told you. It still doesn't come anything closer 
than taking the same amount of money and making CDs and giving them to not religious people. Or supporting Torah, giving it to someone who sits and learns Torah. There's nothing that comes close to it, nothing. All these categories, shuls, aliyot, all this special selling, all these things, it's like a monkey compared to a person. This is the, the, the comparison. Comparing this aliyot, remember, I'm talking about the most important aliyot of the year, which is on falling on Yom Kippur, like Pticha of the Neila, and Pticha, and all these Pticha, and all these aliyot of Yom Kippur, everything in Maftir Yonah that we do in the Mincha, which is Gula Leparnasa, and also Tikkun Abrit, all these great aliyot, it's still like a mud compared to saving one Jew this year. And it's much cheaper. So it's still not any clever investment. There are much better investments to do. So remember that when you go to shul. Because many people are getting very excited. 10,000, 20,000. The same amount of money. You can get exactly a billion times more mitzvot. You understand? So remember that when. But in case you still decided that you want to go to buy aliyot. Which one are the most important one? They call Nidrei. And Maftir Yonah, the Maftir that we read in the Mincha, the story of Yonah, Yonah the prophet that Hashem sent to the city of Nineveh. The city were Goim, not Jews. Hashem sent a Jewish prophet to a city of the Goim. And Yonah, John in English, the prophet, he didn't want to go. <coughs> you know a person that Hashem said to him, go and give a prophecy to this city and he's playing games with Hashem, he's trying to avoid it. Why Yonah didn't want to go? Because he knew that these goyim, as soon as they'll hear what Hashem said, they'll make tshuva right away. Why? The goyim have less yetzerara than the Jews, less evil inclination. When the prophet of the Jews will come and tell them, Hashem said that in a month I'm destroying this place with all of you together, they're going to change. And that's going to be bad for the Jews. Why? Because the Satan is going to stand in front of Hashem in a court of heaven and, and wave to Hashem and say, look, look at your children. The prophets are begging them to make tshuva. Not only they don't listen, they don't make tshuva, they even fight against the prophets. But when they went to the city of the Goim, shh, all of them became religious. How? What do you have to say now? To, to avoid such an embarrassment, he was trying not to go. He jumped. He fell into the, from a boat, he was on a boat, the boat is shaking, all the goyim praying for their gods. This guy prayed to, the, to Buddha, this guy prayed to another idol, this one just made an idol that he has who to pray to. Everybody, one prayed for the sun, you know, everybody prays, there was no Islam yet. So there's no Christianity yet, but there were maybe Buddhism, because Buddhism started 2400 years ago. But all the other idols that they had, they all prayed to their gods. And they come to him and say, Malecha nirdam. That's what we say in the slichot. What's with you, sleeper? Why are you falling asleep? Wake up. Pray to your God. Maybe you bring us the salvation. He knew right away that Hashem is shaking the boat because of him. So he told them, take me and throw me into the ocean. And you get saved. But the goyim, they were good goyim. They didn't want to throw a person like this to kill him in the middle of the ocean. So 
they were trying to do everything they can to avoid it. But when they saw they were about to die, to crash, so they threw him in, the storm stopped immediately. But then they brought him back up. Their heart didn't let him leave him. Once he got back on the boat, everything started to shake again. Few times like this, until they threw him and said, well, we're sorry for you, but we don't want to die, all of us. And what happened? The big whale came and swallowed him. For three days he was inside his stomach. Think about it, he's inside a big dark room, hard to breathe, you know, inside the ocean. And the swell vomited him, and he saw Hashem, so he cannot run away from Hashem. Then he went and he told the people of Nineveh, Nineveh is a city, and Hashem said that you're all going to be destroyed if you're not going to make tshuva. They wore a sack, they put ashes on their heads, they started to fast, they all gathered together in the middle of town and started to cry and to pray to, to Hashem, so forgive them, and, and in the end, what does it say? That Hashem forgive them, not because of their sack, not because of their ashes, not because they fast, no. The, the Pasuk, the verse say clearly, because Hashem checked their actions and they changed it to positive. Tshuva, repentance means to pray it's important, to cry it's very important, to regret is very important, to be embarrassed is very important. But thinking all this, tomorrow morning I'm going back to my sin, what's the point of coming even to pray on Yom Kippur? All this Mechalele Shabbat, they buy a seat for lots of money in a shul. Once a year they come to shul, Yom Kippur. Take prayer, some of them even cry, they're influenced by all the righteous people around them. Yom Kippur is, let's say, Wednesday, he's crying, Khatati, I violate Shabbat, forgive me. Already in three days he has a picnic planned for Shabbat in a park, barbecue. <laughs> this is a clown, this is a fool, that's not a, a tshuva. What are you wasting your time? It's like grinding water. Oh, forgive me, Hashem. I, I didn't keep Shabbat. Forgive me. Hashem said, okay, I know what you didn't do. Well, I don't see what you do. What's tomorrow? You have a, ch- a plan to change? Or are you going back to... It's like a dog that vomits and a minute later comes to eat from what he vomits. That's what Chazal says. Person is like tovel v'sheretz beyado. It's like a person goes to the mikveh, going inside a hundred times, and he's holding a piece of a dead pig. <laughs> Why are you going to the mikveh? <laughs> this is it. Planning to go, a person goes to all his whatever it is, and makes sins with them. And he's thinking, Hashem, forgive me, it's not me, it's the Yetzirara. Why you make all these pretty girls, I make sins, forgive me, I already have a day tomorrow night. Motzei Yom Kippur, with Christine, his girlfriend, whatever it is. What's the point? Tshuva, it's not a joke, it's not being a clown. It's, you should know, it's not only being a clown, it's being chutzpan. It's being chatsuf. Chatsuf means arrogant. I don't know, you have a better word in English for chutzpah? Chutzpah? Even the Americans use this word chutzpah because they didn't find anything in English that fit this description. That's chutzpah. Standing in front of the judge that reads your mind, thinking tomorrow I have a day, tomorrow night with Christine, and I come, I'm sorry. <laughs> All this show. Better stay home with your sins and not come and make a show here. 
You want to make tshuva, make tshuva. However, if a person really, while he's coming on Yom Kippur, he's begging, he's crying, he really intends to stop with those sins. He's thinking, Hashem, I promise you, I'm not, I'm not going to steal anymore. I promise you, no more Lashonara. I, I accept, I swear, I promise 100%. And two weeks later, up, oh, it happened. That's not the same. That's already not intentional. He meant 100% to stop. With all his heart. His intention was, that's it, I quit with this Christine. But two weeks later, she called him again. Avi, how are you? Why don't you stop for a cup of coffee? No, no, leave me alone, you again. I used to know a guy. He was going out with the Japanese girls. <laughs> what didn't I do to separate between them? What didn't I do? I told him one time, you know, the Japanese people, they take the monkey, they tie him to two trees with a rope. It's true, 100%. They take a sharp razor, they cut the scalp open, they pick up the top of the head, the skin. The brain is wild open. And they sit while the monkey is still alive with a spoon and digging in his brain and eating it like this raw. This is who you're going to marry? When he told her that, she went crazy. She told him, who is telling you this? It's only the, the primitive Japanese in the farms. They're not in Tokyo and all this. Ma, what do you think? We're crazy. It's only the primitive one. She said, no matter what I did, in the end, he finally realized it's going to be destroyed. It's not a joke. The Torah says you cannot marry non-Jews, even if they're nice people, even if they're righteous goyim. Hashem loves them as righteous goyim, still not allow his children to marry any other nation. That's it. It's a decree. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing personal. Not because all of them are bad, many of them are good, and many of them are even righteous. It's not the point. point is that's it. Hashem says water and fire cannot be married. It's not, it's not working. Water and fire is not going together. So, you know what? She was coming to sit all day next to his door in a building in Manhattan to wait until he comes because he wasn't answering her phone calls. She's sitting from the morning to the night. When is he coming home? Because he was a salesman coming in and out all day. Sitting, that's how she didn't give up on him. Until one time, his Yetzirara fooled him again. He went back with her. And in the middle of doing what they did, she moved her head, she got angry at him or something, she hit him on his head and smashed his nose and broke it completely. If you see his face, you'll never believe such a thing. It's like somebody took the nose and smashed it to the cheeks. No bone. No, no, no nose. No nose. Imagine a person without a nose. The nose is attached to the cheek, completely loose. I told him you deserve it. <laughs> But still, Hashem has mercy on you. In the end, he got rid of her. Sometimes people learn in a hard way. I told you once, in the Israeli army, after one hour, you know you didn't come for a picnic. Why? The first sentence, first, they shave your head. That's the first, hello. The first, hello, shh. You came with your beautiful blurit, with your gel, ponytail, uh, one, two, three. Most of the barbers, they're clever. They want to make money, so they shave only half of the head. You sit by the mirror, you say, finish the job. Say, no, I'm tired, I'm going on a break. So, go out, come back tomorrow. <laughs> like two 
over here a mountain, over here a They want tip. Don't do it on your customers. <laughs> over there you have no choice. You give it a shekel, you finish the job. Or people who are in love with their hair, they bribe the barbers not to shave it completely. Because, you know, there is, there is a border here. Like it can be an inch, half an inch. Or to shave it completely. He doesn't ask you. So you say, here, take, have mercy on me. <laughs> this is it. So, but the first, as soon as you come out of the barber, first thing you hear, what doesn't come through the head, comes through the legs. In Hebrew, ma shelo ba'derech You don't understand when we give you the order, what's, how you're going to understand? Through your legs. Begin to run 10 minutes in the heat, in the humidity over there, up to the mountains and down. 30 seconds, go! Oh, you didn't make it. Again, and again, and again, four hours, until you faint. So then he tells you, see, if you only listen to me in the first time, you wouldn't have to work so hard to understand. You understand, that's it. You don't have to run. You see, your friends didn't run. From that moment on, every order... Right away, it's been done. Nobody play games. And you have Americans here that wants to volunteer the Israeli army. They want to feel that they did something for the Jewish nation. My advice to them, join the yeshiva for one day. The 600,000 mitzvot that you're going to do that day is better than volunteering, not three years, 3,000 years. 3,000 years you volunteer, you suffer, you run, you clean the bathroom, you wash the dish, whatever you do over there won't be equal to one day in yeshiva. You want to help the Jewish nation? Take a time out, take a day off, come to yeshiva, sit, learn Torah all day. You contributed already more than what the entire army does together in three years. Why? The value of the Torah. It's very important. Gadol Talmud Torah, yoter me'atzalat nefashot. Learning, the, the value of learning Torah is greater than saving life of people. So if you walk for Atzala and every day you save five lives, right? What's the paramedic? What's their name? The people who give the shocks and they save life and they give, uh, you know, from mouth to mouth, you know, breath. All kinds of saving life. Driving the ambulance like crazy, risking his life, getting him to the hospital. He comes to his wife at the end of the day, honey... Today was a great day. I saved five lives. At the same time, if we sit in Yeshiva that day, it would be already much greater. Because Hashem says, Gadol Talmud Torah, Yoter Me'atzalat Nefashot. Now, a few more things before we finish. On, on Yom Kippur, person is not allowed to eat, not allowed to drink, not allowed to smear any creams, perfumes, anything on his body, not allowed to wear leather shoes has to wear shoes that doesn't have any leather in them. And not allowed to be with his wife. Not allowed to be with his wife. When, on the day before Yom Kippur, which is this week is falling on, on Friday, it's mitzvah to eat a lot. A lot. At least five meals. So early in the morning you, you eat a bagel right away, you, you, you make a mozi, two hours later you eat something else. The more you eat on Yom Kippur, the better mitzvah it is. If you eat a lot on Friday, then it will count that you fasted for two days. It's like two Yom Kippur. First day to eat a lot. Second day that you're not eating, that's a mitzvah. One other thing. In all the shuls, they're praying mincha early. 
not like all every Shabbos that you come to shul 10-15 minutes before the sunset and you pray Mincha and then start Kabbalat Shabbat. No. It's a special long Mincha with a long Vidui. Very long Vidui in the end of the Mincha. It's a special Mincha. So the, some shuls do it at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 3.30, but that's it. So you prefer, some people don't know and they come to shul before uh, the sunset and they see there's no Mincha. Now they have to pray alone. Important to catch Mincha early. That's why on Friday it's better to work half a day or not to work at all if you can take a whole day off. Then, very important for a person to ask Mechila from his wife and the wife from the husband because we think about the whole world and the most important one we sometimes don't think. Ah, we take it for granted. Ah, she forgive me anyway. Doesn't work that way. This is very important. Also from the children, and the children has to ask from their parents, and this is what, it, what we call to make tshuva. In Yom Kippur we have five prayers. All year round we have three prayers. Shachrit, Mincha, and Arvit. Here we have five prayers. Five. What are the five prayers? In Shabbat, regular Shabbat, we have four prayers. We have Arvit, we have Shacharit the next morning, we have Musaf, and we have Mincha, and then Shabbat is over. Over here we have an extra prayer. What is it? It's called Tfilat Neila. So this is how the Yom Kippur is. First of all, you come to shul, you put talit at night. But you have to put the talit with bracha, the men, before sunset. Because the entire Yom Kippur we pray with talit. At night, it's the only night that we put talit at night. And all day the next day we put talit all day. And it's only the only time in the year that when we say Shema Israel, we say Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuto Lolan Vaed loud. All year we say it, we whisper it. Now everybody scream together. So there's some differences. So every prayer follows with slichot. First prayer, it's Arvit, which is going to be Friday night, right away around 7, 10, it's going to start. It's, it's Arvit, regular Arvit, a little bit longer than usual because it's few Mizmorim. And right after that, an hour at least of Slichot. Then comes the next morning, you have Shachrit. It's very long because the Shmona Esra has a lot of Viduim inside. And then Slichot. And then we also learn in the Torah. We read in the Torah about the death of the sons of Aaron. This is what we're going to read. In Rosh Hashanah, we read in the first day, Hashem Hashem made Sarah pregnant. When was it? On Rosh Hashanah. That's why we read it on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Second day of Rosh Hashanah, which is still the judgment day, we learn, What is it? The story of the Akedah. Hashem takes Yitzchak to the Moriah mountain to slaughter him as Hashem tested him. When was it? 37 years later, on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem made Sarah pregnant, 90 years old woman without a wound, a big miracle. So we read it in the first day. What happened 37, laters, 37 years later? Also, the story of the Akedah, also on Rosh Hashanah. We blow the shofar, why? As a memory of the ram that was captured in the bush, he couldn't come out. Hashem took him and slaughtered him instead of Yitzchak. And this story of, of Avraham Avinu, of Abraham, brings a lot of mercy to the Jewish nation that our father did such an unbelievable act, unbelievable mitzvah, was willing to sacrifice his only son 
after 99 years, he waited for him. And it happened when? On Rosh Hashanah. So not only that we, every year it's the same spiritual light of that mitzvah, it falls on Rosh Hashanah, also brings a lot of mercy on us when we read it in the Torah. That's why we do it on Rosh Hashanah. Why do we read the story of the death of the two sons of Aaron? Aaron had four sons. Nadav and Avihu, they died. As they sacrificed fire inside the altar that they're not supposed to, there's few reasons for their death. Hazal brings few options. But to teach us that the same way the death of the righteous people is a sacrifice for the entire generation, it comes to make a para, repentance for the entire nation, that's how Yom Kippur is able to erase the sins of the entire nation without, without any difference. That's why we read the death of the two sons of, of Aaron, which Hazal told us that they were greater in their level than Moshe and Aaron. Yes, and this is it. And, and Nadav later came back in Gilgul of Shimshon. Shimshon the prophet, Samson and Delilah. He is Nadav. Nadav, it's Otiot Badan. The Torah says Shimshon Badan. Badan means Nadav. What was his end? That he married a Goya and she destroyed him. Why it was his punishment? Because in his previous life, when he was Nadav, he kept saying that there is not one Jewish female that deserved to marry him. You know, he disrespected them. He felt that a big shot. And in his next life, Hashem, in a way, he buried himself, but that was his end. That he had a very difficult test, a beautiful Goya. He ended up with her, and in the end, he, he was blinded and died with 3,000 Philistines. But that's it. So that's why we read the story in the morning. What do we read in Mincha? That's when we do Maftiriona. In Mincha, we read all the sex crimes, all the forbidden relationships in the Torah. We read it because this is the most common destructions in the life of a Jew. Most Jews lost their next life because of these desires. That's why it's to show people how important is all this restriction of Gilui Arayot and all these crimes that the punishment of them are the worst in the Torah to remind everybody about it. Plus, right after that, we read the story that I told you about Yonah, the prophet. Why we read it in Yom Kippur? Because to show that Hashem forgive the entire city of Egoim that made tshuva and changed their bad deeds. So that's to show us the importance of this tshuva. And we do it on Yom Kippur. On, on Yom Kippur, because it's a day of repentance. Uh, any questions so far? One more thing. When we start on Yom Kippur, right after the Kol Nidre, we said, Or Zarua la Tzadik Simcha. You're going to remember on Friday night, the Chazan that holds the Sefer Torah, he screams seven times. Or Zarua la Tzadik. What's the significance of this Pasuk? Or Zarua, the, leader, the literal explanation of that is, Or Zarua, a light, it's like a seed in the ground, like putting the seed in the ground, putting light as a seed, la tzaddik, for the righteous people, and the decent, honest people are happy from this seed. The seed is growing into happiness, which means the end of this verse, the last letter of each word, gives us abbreviation, Rabbi Akiva. Or, finish with Resh, Resh, Rabbi, and Zarua, Ain, Latzadik, all the last letters, Rabbi Akiva. What's the significance of Rabbi Akiva? 
First is the greatest Jew ever lived. He made Shuva age 40, complete ignorant, divorced with a kid, doesn't know Alephbet, became the greatest Jew in history. This is, is to show Hashem, look at our fathers. They started against all odds and became legendary holy people. But not only that, when was the death of the ten righteous rabbis that we cry on, on, on Tisha B'Av on the floor for their death, that the Romans killed them in a very cruel death? It was all on Yom Kippur, Asara Aruge Malchut. The death of Rabbi Akiva, that by saying few words could destroy all the soldiers who were killing him, and he chose not to do so, and sacrifice his life, and his student was telling him, what are you waiting for, Rabbi? Say your words. You know, you can, you can affect the angels with your holiness. Kill them. Say a few words. Say the name of Hashem. They all fall and die. And he said, all my life I waited. I say Shema Israel every day, and I promise Hashem that I'm willing to give my life for him. What do we say every day in Shema Israel? You have to love Hashem with all your heart, all your soul, and all your money. Finally, for the first time in my life, I have an opportunity to give my life for the truth of Hashem, and I'm going to lose this opportunity. He said, Shema Israel, and went to heaven. And that's, that's why we say it in the beginning. So everything we say in Yom Kippur is a big, significant thing. Don't think that the people just made a lottery. Okay, what pasuk are we going to use? Let's take this, let's take this. No, it's all secrets. I don't have the time to explain now, but the Tfilah of Musaf, it's a description of all the servants, all the serving of Hashem of the Kohanim in Kodesh HaKodeshim in Bet HaMikdash. If you listen to the words, if you have English translation, you read how they prepare the Kohen, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, the entire year for these few minutes that is going inside Kodesh HaKodeshim, the entire nation depends on his prayer. Five minutes, not even five minutes. He used to tie a rope to his leg, because maybe if he has one bad thought inside, he, he falls and dies. Over there, there's no time even to think something opposite of what you were sent for. So they used to pull the, the rope because nobody can go in. They had to pull his body out. It's very important. So this is why we do Musaf, because it's instead of the sacrifice of the Musaf that he used to do in Yom HaKippurim. So then after that, we have Slichot again. Then we have Mincha. Then we have Slichot again. And comes the last hour, and we finish with that. The last hour, which is the most important hour of the year. Which hour? The hour of Neila. Tfilat Neila. Now, what's the difference between the entire Yom Kippur to that hour? The entire Rosh Hashanah and the days of Tshuva, the week in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and 23 hours of Yom Kippur, all the angels are sitting in the courts of heaven with Hashem judging the people one after the other. There's one last hour that Hashem said to all the angels to go out of the court, and He judged each person alone. One on one. This is an opportunity. Why? Because with the angels, you, Hashem cannot do whatever He wants. It all has to be justice. And the angels are objecting. So it's not fair. Look what He did. Look. And they're always against. But over here, they're out. And it's between the merciful Hashem to us. This is the opportunity to cry like you never cried the entire life. If you don't cry that year, later you cry a lot for not crying that hour. I promise you. This is the one 
unforgettable opportunity to save the entire year. To save the entire year, followed by the shofar in the end, and Yom Kippur is over, Sha'are Aichal Ninalim, finish. They open the Aaron Kodesh, it's open the entire prayer. Why? Because Sha'are Shamaim Niftachim. Everybody scream, Et Sha'are Ratzon Leipateach. This is just hearing that song, you get goosebumps all over your body. And that's an opportunity to put the talit over your head, not being embarrassed from anyone near you. Prepare some tissue and cry for all your sins. Ask Hashem to forgive you, to forgive your wife, to forgive your children, all your dears, whatever are. Don't start making a list of requests. Send me money, help me with the deal, help me this, <laughs> get me to get a car, help me to get a wife. All these things, Hashem knows what you need. Now it's time to ask Hashem for mechila, for forgiveness. People think, it's all about me. Give me this, give me that. What about your sin? No, now it's an opportunity to cry, to ask for mechila, to ask that Hashem will help us to have a better ear spiritually, not to repeat the same sins. If you don't ask Hashem to help you to be righteous, you cannot be righteous. Nobody can move an inch without Hashem's help. You cannot bang a nail to the wall without Hashem's help. Needless to say, if you want to overcome your evil inclination, to do it on your own is impossible. The only way to do it is to beg Hashem every day, and especially that hour, help me to be a tzaddik. Help me not to be angry. Help me not to be stingy. Help me to learn Torah. Help me to keep Shabbat. Help me to be modest. Help me to dress like a real daughter of Hashem. Not half and half, like most religious girls. Half and half. Half goya, half religious. Depend on the mood, depend on the wedding, depend how fancy is the wedding. No. Modest to be modest. And everything that a person needs, 100%. So far, any questions before we finish? I think I try to cover as much as I can. You want to pray for somebody? Yes, yes. You can pray for other people, but you know, the Torah says, If a person doesn't do for himself, how exactly is going to help him? He has to do also for himself. You can pray for them, yes. You can pray for them. But even people who do not know, just enough that they come and cry in Yom Kippur, even not understanding what's going on, that's already a big mechila for them. There's, there's a story of one boy, he didn't know Hebrew, he was standing and whistling the whole Yom Kippur, singing with, with his whistling. And people wanted to kill him. And the rabbi was a holy man. He told them, I want to tell you that our entire prayer got accepted thanks to him. Why? He doesn't know how to pray, but his heart was so broken that he helped our entire prayer to go express to Hashem. And you want to send him out? Yeah, he was a, he was a holy man, Ruach HaKodesh. Sometimes a person has Ruach HaKodesh. He sees things. Yeah. All day, all week, we do vidui in every tefillah. We do Avinu Malkenu all week now. We do vidui in Mincha, in Shachrit, in Mincha. We're going to do it Friday morning. We're going to do it on Mincha, which is a big vidui. You know, Rabbeinu Nisim, was, he lived for 750 years ago. He wrote a very long vidui, like three full pages of vidui. A person confessed, confession. But it's very long confession. It's not the regular daily confession that it's half a page. It's maybe like three or four pages. Every time I read it, I feel like I'm about to faint. When the last few words that he say, 
I feel that's it. My blood is finished in my body. Why? This is what he says. He says in Hebrew, He says, if I'm coming to reveal all my sins in front of you, Hashem, the time will end. The time in this planet will end, and my list of confessions will not end. It's so many sins. And I want to promise you that if you review his entire life, you can count on one hand how many sins, if ever, he made in his life. You have no idea what a holy person we are talking about. This is a commentator, commentator on the Talmud. Every word in the Talmud he explained was a holy man all his life. He just sat and learned Torah. Simple life. He didn't have a BMW. He didn't have a beautiful hair that he was combing before he goes to the club. We're not talking about this kind of Jew. We're talking a guy that gave his life for Hashem. And he writes in the Vidui, if I'm coming to reveal in front of you all my sins, the time will end and my list will still go on. I read this. <laughs> I say to myself, what am I going to say after he said this? You understand? So we're not coming to be right. We don't have a, ch a chance to win in justice. No. Only in mercy. We don't have. If we're going to put our mitzvot and sins, I promise you our sins are going to be much, much greater than the mitzvot. So that's an opportunity to get rid of them through the mercy, which we don't have in other days of the year. The Satan, has Satan, the devil, its, its numeric value 364. To teach us that one day in a year, the year is 365 days, one day in a year, it doesn't have any effect. It cannot arm us. When? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. The Satan. Satan, the Satan, in Hebrew, numeric value, 364. Why? Only 364 instigate between us and Hashem. It makes us make sins. He comes to testify against us. But Yom Kippur is silent. has no permission to do anything. Kamara brings a story with the Satan, a few, few stories, that one rabbi, he was coming to, he said to this rabbi that he likes him, the Satan likes him. But then one other rabbi said the story. So the Gemara, from the Gemara we saw that the rabbi who told the story got a bigger reward from the rabbi it actually happened to him. And the Gemara said, from here you see that to tell it, to, to be Mezakeh Arabim, to influence other Jews to come closer to Hashem, is much greater than to, to be a part of the story, to do it yourself. Making others making sin as a mitzvot is much greater. Making them make sins, it's a horrible sin because there's no way to find them and ask for their forgiveness. You make this guy not religious, you make that woman not modest, all kinds of things. And one way to make people against the religion is to behave against the Torah. To be a thief, to be arrogant, to curse, to be angry, to be not a nice person, to be egoistic. All these things makes not religious people stay away from the Torah. They say, if this is the way the religious people are, I don't want anything to do with this. And this is a problem we have to improve in this generation. If we would do 10% better, there would be another 100,000 Jews who keep Shabbat. It's in our hand. And this is one of the things we have to correct. This is the opportunity. Any more questions before we finish? So I want to wish each one of us Khatima Tova. In Rosh Hashanah we say Ktiva Tova. 
good reading, writing. Now it's חתימה, sealing. חתימה טובה, means sealing. And בעזרת השם, we hope that Hashem will accept our prayer. Remember, the last hour is the most critical one. Do everything you can to cry and ask for all the sins, to ask Hashem to give you another chance, to forgive you. Uh, if a person is not married, so he can beg Hashem, help me to find my soulmate, that I can have a holy house with good kids, to teach them and direct them in the Torah. Because in the Torah it says that Hashem said that he loved Abraham, and he told Abraham all the mitzvot of the Torah, that's before the Jews received the Torah, because he knew that Abraham will pass it to his children. That's the only reason he gave it to him, and he loved him, and he came to him, and he gave him, and he blessed him, for knowing that he's going to give it the later and educate his children in the right way. Which means if Abraham wouldn't be the type, he would never become Abraham. And that's what he did. He taught Yitzchak and Yaakov, and the rest is his story. Thank you very much. Thank you, Levi, for all this great year we had here. Hopefully, we'll have many more lectures here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Good night.